The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Back in Miami territory, this is Daniels to the right, has an alley, has the first down and more. He can go, he will go, 43 yards, all Hawkeyes right now. Two guys, right tackle, Ike Butker and Peter Picar, the tight end, doing a great job at the line of scrimmage, as well as Germanic Smith blocking downfield. He made a huge play on the big reception, he blocks downfield, and Daniels leads the way into the end zone. What's well, a team game for Iowa, when you make a big play in the passing game, how can you help in the run game? Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast. This week it features Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' 2016 season opening win over the Miami Red Hawks, and he previews this week's Iowa-Iowa State game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Matt Campbell. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reports. Scott Docterman of thelandof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPNU with announcers Eamon McEnany and John Congemi. We very much appreciate it and thank them. First and goal from the Iowa 8. Smith to the right of ball. Ball pumps, gets hit, ball is loose again. Picked up by Iowa. Matt Nelson on the recovery. Anthony Nelson with the hit. It's a full Nelson for the Hawkeyes. <laughs> this defense is standing up and creating turnovers. Terrific hit from behind. You have to have a clock in your head in the red zone. Everything's going to happen a little bit quicker, but Anthony Nelson beats the block to the wide side of the field, jars the ball loose, and then Matt Nelson gets in for the fumble recovery. Hawkeye's Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. It's time once again for the Iowa-Iowa State football game in the annual battle for the Cy Hawk Trophy, as well as football bragging rights across the state. This Saturday's game at Kinnick Stadium will be under the lights with a 6.30 p.m. kickoff. It's also Iowa's annual black and gold spirit game, which always looks even better at night. Typically, this game is closely contested. It's unpredictable. Regardless of the two teams' records and which one is supposedly the favorite, the last four games have all been won by the visiting team. Last year in Ames, the Hawkeyes were 31-17 victors and currently possess the traveling trophy. This is Kirk Ferentz's 27th year overall as either a head coach or assistant coach for the University of Iowa in these Iowa-Iowa State games. But his teams have not always performed up to expectations and complicating the Hawkeyes' preparations this year. Iowa State has completely new offensive and defensive schemes under new head coach Matt Campbell, who takes over the Cyclones' reins after a very successful stint at Toledo. The game is a sellout. It will be televised nationally by the Big Ten Network with its top crew, Kevin Kugler, Matt Millen, Chuck Long, and Lisa Byington. The game can be heard, as always, on the Hawkeyes' radio network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. It's on satellite 
Satellite Radio, XM Channel 195 and Sirius 112, and Compass Radio Networks is also broadcasting the contest. Iowa comes into this game 1-0 after defeating Miami, Ohio in the opener by a score of 45-21. Iowa State, on the other hand, lost at home to UNI 25-20 and were plagued by turnovers and penalties. The Hawkeyes lead the series overall 41-22. They've won five of the last eight, but the Cyclones have won 10 of the last 18, including three of the last five. Iowa's last win over Iowa State in Kinnick Stadium, believe it or not, 35-7 in 2010. Kirk Ferentz is in his 18th season as Iowa head coach with a record of 128-87. and He ranks eighth in wins overall in the Big Ten and is seventh in conference victories. Since Ferentz succeeded Hayden Fry at Iowa, the Cyclones have had four head coaches. Matt Campbell is 0-1 in his first season at Iowa State. This is Campbell's fifth year as a college head coach, coming over from Toledo, where his four-year record was 35-15. Following this weekend's game, Iowa remains at home to face defending FCS champion North Dakota State, while Iowa State travels to Texas to play TCU. In Big Ten notes, the opening week of the 2016 season saw Big Ten teams do what they should have done for the most part. The biggest statement win was Wisconsin's over highly ranked LSU, 16-14, played at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The most surprising loss was Northwestern at home to the Max Western Michigan by a score of 22-21. There are three games this weekend of note. In addition to Iowa hosting Iowa State, North Carolina travels to Illinois, and Pittsburgh hosts its in-state rival, Penn State. In other news, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz has received a new contract from Athletics Director Gary Barta, extending 10 years through January of 2026. It contains many of the same or similar provisions as his previous deal, although several of those have been enhanced and a raise in annual compensation to at least $4.5 million. It also includes improvements in compensation and tenure for his assistant coaches. The new contract comes following Iowa's most successful football season ever going undefeated in the regular season last year and playing, though losing, in the Big Ten Conference Football Championship and Rose Bowl games. Ferentz also received Coach of the Year honors for his team's performance last year, and it saw a significant improvement over several seasons just prior to 2015, which had, at that time, resulted in considerable grumbling among the Iowa faithful, and many believed it was actually placing Ferentz on the hot seat. Well, that's true no more. The timing for both Ferentz and the University of Iowa seemed appropriate, more justifiable, certainly more defensible for this particular extension. Here is some of what Kirk had to say about his contract extension. I'm just really uh, pleased and very, very proud to continue on as the Iowa football coach well into the future. I've always considered this to be a tremendous privilege as well as a responsibility to lead the program. So just uh, really excited about uh, getting this completed. You know, I'm really proud of our program, our players, our staff, and our fans have uh, been absolutely outstanding and uh, certainly appreciate the trust and confidence demonstrated by Athletic Director Gary Barta, President Bruce Harold. Uh, very, very appreciative there and uh, certainly look forward to, to carrying on our winning tradition. So last thing I'll just say is that, you know, Iowa really has uh, been home to me and my family. My wife, Mary, our five children have all been raised here. So, you know, after 26 years, I can tell you I really appreciate what it is to be an Iowan and what it is to be an Iowa Hawkeye. So really excited about that. The only other comment I'll make, the date uh, goes through 2026. I don't 
consider that to be a cap. I'm not big on caps in any any sort. So you know, we'll just continue to take it week by week and year by year. But uh, again, just really thrilled about that. Gary Barda explained his rationale for the new contract. I've only been with Kirk only uh, for the last 10 years, now 11. And But I've been in, in college athletics for almost 30. I was also a student athlete and played the game of football. And of all the coaches I've been around, of all the coaches I've watched, certainly winning is critical. But beyond that, winning, you know, the, our, our mantra, win, graduate, do it right. I've not worked with or been around a coach who's who's as, as skilled and passionate about all three areas. And so uh, he's proven himself over and over in all three categories prior to my arrival and certainly during uh, the last 10 years that we've worked together. And when I evaluate that and I look into the future, the foundation right now is, is so strong with our coaching staff, beyond that, our facilities, uh, our recruiting. Uh, so I just feel great about where we're at and I want to make sure that we're poised to continue that into the future. Barda also talked about the timing of the new deal with Ference. It's no secret in our business that if you start to get to a certain point, there's discussion about recruiting. I laugh about that a little bit in that uh, nobody, or I guess there's only one other coach at our level that's been at it at the same place for as long as Kirk. Uh, And so while I don't necessarily think that's the case, I also don't want to take it for granted. I know that if I were to set out uh, and look for a coach with the accomplishments uh, the values uh, that, that Kirk has, uh, I would be hard-pressed. In fact, I would argue I wouldn't be able to find a better fit. So I just made the decision uh, that now was a great time. And, and I felt so good about the momentum with this building that we're in, uh, with the, the progress I've seen the last several years in recruiting, uh, with the, the quality of coaching staff, the longevity of the, of the assistants. So uh, it just felt like a great time. Obviously, the success of last year, it maybe pushed it over the over the top, but uh, it's, it's really based on a longer, it's based on the, the 10 years that I've worked with him. And Bardo was asked who the decision makers were in terms of approving the new contract. You might imagine that uh, I'm in constant contact with my boss, uh, Bruce Harold, and you know we're constantly talking about uh, an important decision like this. He leaves it up to me. Uh, he makes sure that his bosses, the regents, are aware. But at the end of the day, it's, it's my decision along with my boss's full endorsement. Iowa fans should not necessarily assume the 2026 date is a ceiling or a floor, as only time will tell. If he were to retire when the new contract expires, Kurt Ferentz would be 70 years old at that time. Hey, I guess they're right. Senior citizens, although slow and dangerous behind the wheel, can still serve a purpose. Pitch to Wadley, the five, touchdown! Might have started high-stepping a little early, but it doesn't matter. He finds the end zone. Another great example of speed to the outside by Akram Wadley. You fake inside, you get outside, you get good blocks down the field. Wadley goes in untouched for six. Iowa doing a terrific job of taking advantage of a turnover. You get a big hit by your defense. Huge play by Jack Hockaday. You get the return, and you tease up this offense to get into the end zone, and it's all Hawkeye. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kurt Ferentz, who provides his overview of the Iowa-Iowa State game in 2016. This is my 27th game involvement-wise uh, in this series. So I can tell you, just appreciate uh, you know fully just what it means to so many people in our state. And if you look at our football team, half are too deep. You know, clearly, uh, I think it's about 45, close to 50% of our roster uh, were born and raised here, too. So they grew up watching this game. Uh, I know they appreciate this series, what it means 
means, and I know they're excited about having a chance to compete in it as, as we are as coaches. Uh, it's an important game for certainly both sides of the uh, both sides of the field. Uh, and I think one thing, if you look over the last five years, you, know, you can predict a close game. You know, I think over the last uh, five years now, it's the average of six points differential in the games. It doesn't seem to matter if it's home. You know what happened the week before, all that stuff. Really, what it gets down to is who plays the best on that given day. So that that's a challenge that's ahead of us right now. And then the other part about it, I think it's really rare to have a, a rivalry game like this where you involve two major conferences. So I think that really makes it unique to our state, certainly. And I think it's a great thing for our state. So you know, we're excited about the challenge ahead. We know we've got a big uh, big challenge on Saturday night. Also know we got a lot of work to do between now and then. Ference was asked about the added difficulty of preparing to face a team with a new head coach. That's always a challenge. And uh, anytime you go through those kinds of experiences, first games uh, are always a little bit of a challenge anyway, no matter who you're playing and uh, whether the staff is new or not new. Uh, you're just never quite quite sure what to expect. And then uh, same thing here with the new staff, obviously. And you know, we, we've done work on uh, what we saw in Toledo, but it's always always a challenge when you look at uh, a set of games from, from some other place and then you can try to compare that to uh, what their players are going to do. Uh, we have one game exposure, which is which is helpful. Uh, but the one thing I would tell you is, you know, the thing that jumped out about the Toledo film, a couple things, Coach Campbell's had great success uh, in his career as a player, assistant coach, and now as a head coach, uh, both at Toledo, and he'll do the same at Iowa State. Yeah, they're a really well-coached football team, uh, and that's one thing I'd say about Toledo. The second thing that jumped out at me is, you know, they really played hard, really uh, hustled and played hard, and uh, I think, you know, we saw some of those attributes, certainly, with their team on Saturday. Ferentz discussed some of the problems with Iowa's defense in the Miami game and specifically and specifically cornerback Greg Maben's struggles. Probably the two biggest takeaways for me uh, from the game Saturday defensively that, that I think we have to you know we, we can't give up runs uh, rushing yardage like we did the other day they uh, they came too easy in my opinion for our opponent and uh, that that's not good you know you don't want to let people uh, run the ball at will and they, they did that too much uh, against us and then uh, probably my biggest uh, complaint or criticism I guess would be in the passing game would be we, we blew a coverage and gave up a, a big play that, to me, could have been coachable, avoidable, etc. So th- those are the things you really got to focus on. And the l- little things, little nuances, those types of things for every player, you know, those are the things you work on daily, week, weekly, and hopefully you see improvement as the season goes on. Yeah, Greg's played a lot of really good football for us, and he's missed a lot of time. He missed the spring, uh, missed some time early in camp, so he's playing catch up a little bit. He- he's a good quality player. He'll he'll be hopefully ready to go this Saturday, but he's going to have a good senior year. I'm-, I'm really confident in that. And Kirk was asked about the possibility of losing key players to injury, including, for example, starting quarterback C.J. Beathard, and whether his true freshman backup, Nathan Stanley, would really be ready to sub in. If, uh, if that happens, we'll find out. And, uh, you know, it's just that's football, though. You know, you just uh, play the circumstances as they arise. And not only in that game, but the entire season, we, we had a lot of guys in and out of our lineup last year. And that's one of the reasons uh, really proud of that football team. They responded to those uh, kinds of challenges. And those, those are the things you never know what's going what's to unfold as the season goes on, be it this week or the weeks ahead. Injuries, you know, just, just things that can happen in sports and happen in football in particular. So uh, it's really more about the response. And if that happens, we'll find out real quickly and uh, go from there. Next, we hear from Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell, who gives his perspective on the in-state Iowa-Iowa State rivalry. I think two things. Number one, obviously what this rivalry means to both schools and the institution and the states. You know, it didn't take me really really long, the first press conference, where that question was asked, maybe the third or fourth question. Number two, then going to Hilton and watching that basketball game get played and just the energy and the emotion and, you know, the passion within that, that basketball arena that night and then really traveling throughout the 
state, quite honestly, on the tailgate tour and seeing the, how divided and how loyal both fan bases really are. And again, that's what makes college football really special. That's what playing in a program like this and, and being a part of a rivalry like that, it's really special to be a part of something like that. And do you talk about that with your kids? You absolutely do, because I think you're at fault if you don't. And, you know, it's something we've talked about really from the day that I've gotten here through spring practice at times. And obviously, as we get in and prepare for this game, you certainly talk about those things. So I've got a great deal of respect for their program, what they've done, but to also know this is a great rivalry game and something that we're lucky to be a part of. These are these are what makes football really special. And, you know, from my end of it, I guess coaching wise, the last, you know, really, I guess the last 10 years being a part of a rivalry where 20 some miles away, you know, Toledo and Bowling Green and on being on both sides of that, that rivalry within the state of Ohio. So, you know, a great rivalry game in its own right and certainly being a part of it in, in college, having some of those rivalry games as well. But I think the key is you do have to stay within yourself. And it's it's like every other football game, the team that takes care of the football, the team that manages throughout the football game is the team that's going to have great success. And so I think our kids know that. Unfortunately, we had to learn a, a really valuable lesson again in that um, last Saturday, but a lesson that, that's really valuable for us to learn going forward. But I think it certainly applies to the game we're about to take part in this Saturday. Campbell was asked about the struggles of his starting running back, Mike Warren, and for that matter, the entire running game in the loss to UNI. We tried to get Mike going early on. They kind of did some things to take him away in some of the quarterback run read situations. But, you know, again, we've got to do a great job of focusing what gives him the best opportunities to be successful early in the football game. And, you know, it's not just Mike. I think it's that whole stable of backfields. I thought David Montgomery really ran the ball well again. And, you know, I, I think Kinney's got to be a factor as we continue to go forward. And I thought Kinney did a great job in the kickoff return game for us. Campbell discusses the strength of his offense, his group of wide receivers, including star Alan Lazard, and their matchup with Iowa's strong defensive secondary. Obviously be a great matchup. You know, Alan Hakeem Butler's playing at a really high rate for us right now. Dondre Daly certainly had a great game um, Saturday night. And so, you know, I, I think that's a matchup as you look into the football game and, and certainly you're a fan of the game. You say, man, that's some two really good spots on both sides of the, of the ball for both teams. That'll be a great matchup game. And I think we just got to continue to find ways to, to get those guys the ball and let those guys have the opportunity to make plays. And they certainly did in some critical situations for us on Saturday night. Campbell provides his assessment of Iowa's star cornerback, Desmond King. You know, I, I think what I love about watching him play is, number one, his versatility is is outstanding. Um, you know, what he does in the, some of the return game and all those things are, are really fun to watch. But what makes him an elite player is his knowledge of the game. He's His ability to point and break, his ability to read the quarterback, I think you can tell he's really comfortable and, and that, that little credit goes to their system too. You know, systematically they do the same thing and have done the same thing and I think he's a guy that has relished in his role. He's got a great understanding for what his role is he's he's really perfected his craft and technique and you know he breaks on the ball maybe as good as anybody in the country and Campbell talks about changing up his defense in game from a three-man front to a four-man front as Iowa State did versus UNI if it keeps working, we'll keep doing it. So, you know, our, our whole thing with third down and really the entire football game defensively is we work really hard to try to find matchups and, you know, both offensively and defensively. And I think defensively, we're constantly evaluating ways to create matchups within the game. And, you know, I thought the one area that certainly was a success for us on, on Saturday night was our ability to get off the field on third down. I thought that really showed up. And, you know, defensively, I thought we had a really good game plan and, you know, we were 
multiple at times. I think we'll cons consistently be multiple as the season goes. We've got unique pieces on defense that allows us to be multiple rather than just the same defense all the time. So I thought that helped. You know, again, we had some guys out that really limited some of the things that we wanted to do um, throughout the football game. And I thought Coach Haycock really did a great job adjusting to some of those guys being out and still giving ourselves a chance to win the football game on defense. They toss it out to Wadley, and he will score with ease. A backbreaker, backbreaking turn of events for Miami. This is too easy when you get in the red zone and you block everybody down, kick everyone out. Wadley just goes in untouched. It looked like Miami had Kent delivered a game-changing type of play. It was going to be 21 and 21 to 7, first and 10 from the 20. But they overturned the call and say he never had possession and it was an incomplete pass. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. And you can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Miami Red Hawks game, and he previews this Saturday's Iowa-Iowa State contest in the annual battle for the Cy-Hawk Trophy. Scott, before we turn to the Iowa State game and the annual Cy-Hawk Trophy rivalry, let's give one last look back at Iowa's opening win over Miami of Ohio, 45-21. to Iowa's offense was certainly very efficient. If you had a concern there, it was about quarterback C.J. Beathard taking a bit of a beating, some problems with picking up the blitzes. Probably the biggest concern overall out of that game was the defense and how Miami was able to sustain long Big Ten-like drives. Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise and I think after Josie Jewell was uh, was held out after well kicked out I should say ejected after a targeting call in the first series of the game I, I think that kind of changed changed the momentum a little bit on defense that you know he, if there's any doubt that he's the heart and soul of that team we found out really quickly he was on Saturday and that was reflected in the way they they defended and Jack Hockaday played really hard and, and generated some good plays and you know, had a you know fumble and everything but uh you know it just Josie was in almost always in the right spot he's very aggressive and the fact that he was out really just changed the game but I think if nothing else this was a really good game for this team because it allowed them to kind of build off something that they got something on tape they saw that they could do some good things and then they also saw they have a lot of work to do and a lot of improvement to make so while I am concerned about the defense especially if say Jewel would ever to go down at the same time I, I think that that in some ways a little bit of an aberration but they do have to do a better job of stopping the run and they're going to have to you know really work on that here in the coming weeks. The other issue in the defense was uh, some big pass plays they gave up uh, Greg Maven was appeared to be shaky although 
part of that also seemed to be some communication issues, not only with the safeties, but the linebackers. Yeah, there was a little bit of communication, which you, you kind of figure on it. But, you know, Maven owned, you know, at least the two really big plays, the 67-yarder that went down to the 8-yard line and the 29-yard touchdown pass, you know, which was like on a post-corner route. He owned both of those as his own mistakes. He described the reasons why that he happened. So I think he's aware of why that didn't turn out well. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like uh, talking about basketball players and somebody scoring on you. It just happens from time to time. And people are, are going to stay away from Desmond King, and they're going to attack Greg David. He's not Deion Sanders, and nobody else is. So he's not going to shut anybody down. It's just I think after a while he gave up a little bit too much cushion, and then he, he was too aggressive at the wrong time. So, you know, and he's a three-year starter. He's going to get the benefit of the doubt from the coaching staff, and but he's going to have a test this week. The other new Kirk aspect of that game, and although they were on the depth chart, we actually saw them on the field last Saturday. Ten true freshmen played in that opener, including backup quarterback Nathan Stanley, and he's the first true freshman to play at quarterback for Ferentz since Drew Tate in 2003. That is a really interesting development, and uh, it kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought that what would happen was at the very, very end, he would uh, grit his teeth and just say, nah, I can't do it. You know, I can't blow this guy's red shirt. But I think what it said is that Nathan Stanley is, is the future, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, we saw him on, you know, our opportunity on Kids Day. Big, strong arm, a lot of poise, maturity beyond his years. And, and his tape kind of reflected that from high school. And he's 6'5", can throw lasers, and he's a really smart kid. So uh, I think we just kind of came down to hey, this guy, if you need to get to better, he's the guy who can win. I mean, and maybe he doesn't think he can win with Wiggers, or maybe he thinks Stanley's that talented, but certainly is an interesting debut to, to have him do that, and uh, you know, he apparently is going to be the guy in 2017 going forward. Turning to the Iowa State game, not only is the trophy up, and this is the first of five trophies that the Hawkeyes will be defending this season, but it's the annual Black and Gold Spirit game. It's under the lights. It's always an in-state rivalry game that you can never really predict with a lot of confidence. Last four games have been won by the visitors, including Iowa last year in Ames. And to complicate preparation for the Hawkeyes, they're facing new head coach at Iowa State, Matt Campbell. Yeah, there's a lot to this game. There's a lot of layers, as always. I mean, it is, you know, probably their truest rivalry game. A lot of Iowa fans don't want to admit that, but the players always do. So you look at, uh, this is, you know, you, you there's a cliche of you can throw this one out the, out the window uh, or any kind of record thrown off the door or whatever, and I think that's the case here. We've seen a lot of times, and usually Iowa State more than Iowa, where Iowa State will bite Iowa, and you just go, how did that happen? And the one that comes to mind for me is 2007, where Iowa was 2-0, and it just throttled Zurich 35 to nothing, and Iowa State was 0-2, lost to Northern Iowa and Kent State. It was Gene Chizik's first year. So there's a lot of parallels to this season, and uh, yet this time it was over names, and Iowa State pulled out the victory on a last-second field goal. And, you know, and even the last time that they played in Kinnick, Iowa was up 14-3 to at the half. And Iowa State came back and, and won the game 20-17 to in a real lackluster performance by the Hawkeyes. So anything is, can happen in this game. And uh, so 
sometimes they usually does. Having said that, Iowa State did lose its home opener last week versus UNI. They were plagued by turnovers and penalties. Their defense struggled to get off the field. They also played 13 freshmen, six of those true freshmen. I was uh, a little surprised, even though you know it intellectually, to hear Kirk talk about the fact that this is his 27th game overall in the Iowa-Iowa State series. This will be his 18th as head coach and uh, the previous ones as assistant coach. That's pretty amazing, really. It is. And, you know, over the years, we've talked about whether Kirk takes these games seriously. And I think over the last couple of years, he's really tried to emphasize that he does take it seriously, that it's an important game. And yeah, I mean, he was here, from, you know, from what, 81 to 89, and then from 99 on. And, you know, and he got in right at the beginning of that, you know, kind of five-year run. He was there from years two to five when Dan McCartney kind of had Iowa State rolling. So uh, it was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, development there. And, and uh, you know, so, you know, from play, uh, playing against a guy like Matt Campbell, I, I was in Ames for his news conference on Monday. I really like the guy. I think he's really uh, what Iowa State needs, you know, calm, direct, no-nonsense kind of guy. I mean, he's got a personality to him. But, you know, whether it was Dan, you know, we all know, or, or Paul Rhodes, they always had kind of that rah-rah guy. And, and at times it really infused them with some energy when they needed it. But other times they came out kind of flat. And I think in this case, you know, Matt Campbell, he, he might lose his battle, but uh, at Iowa State might win the whatever war they can win. So, I, I, you know, he's going to have them ready. And after playing so poorly against Northern Iowa, as you said, making so many mistakes, so many key areas just being sloppy. I think uh, they've got a, they've got a chance to bounce back and at least play well. Let's uh, get down to the weeds a bit in terms of Iowa's offense and Iowa State's defense. If you could pick one word that would accurately characterize what the Hawkeyes did against Miami last week, it would be efficient on offense. And of course, that all started with uh, senior quarterback C.J. Beathard, who's now 14-2 and as a starter, and 8-0 in Kinnick, 14-0 in the regular season. And it's hard to pick uh, apart anything that he did in that opening game. Yeah, he started the game 10 of 11, and the only uh, incompletion was uh, originally ruled a fumble that his receiver sort of dropped. So, I mean, you know, he was perfect, essentially, in that first half. Looked really good. Um, the only time he really had the ball and, and got hit was, you know, one was a complete mix-up disaster on, on the offensive line, and the other was up the middle, uh, you know, a sack. But, yeah, he re- looked really good. I think the running game, to me, was very impressive. The way the offensive line dominated the line of scrimmage, they averaged 7.3 yards a carry. Akram Wadley and uh, so Sean Daniels combined for four touchdowns, more than 200 yards. If Iowa can do that regularly, that's championship level, uh, no doubt about it. So they looked good there. And in the passing game, I was impressed. I mean, Germany Smith won the job and put in. You know, he was kind of back and forth, Jay Shield, but came up with, you know, three catches, two of which were big, and then really impressed people, myself included, with the way he blocked down field. So offensive, yeah, efficient for sure, and sometimes spectacular. I'm not, I'm not afraid of superlatives from Skype of how Iowa played on offense on Saturday. Yeah, if anything was wrong with it, they scored too fast. That's part of what led to the time of possession disparity with Miami. Anytime your quarterback can complete 65% of his passes and have a rating of 162.14, you're likely winning that ball game. Yeah, and he certainly looks good doing it too. And, you know, he was able to get out the fourth quarter, probably not quite as early as they wanted, but they were up 
five to seven at one point. You know, he it was it was classic CJB without having him to run around. You mentioned the running game it was excellent Saturday, and you had the kind of some of the people are calling them thunder and lightning. The duo of LaShawn Daniels and Akram Wadley both were terrific in the opener. They combined for 204 yards on 22 carries and four touchdowns. It was it was it was a you know really you know they they, they showed their versatility. The fact that they could run inside, they could run outside. You know, Akram Wadley showed he, he's got a few more pounds to him, so he'll go run between the tackles. LaShawn Daniels showed that he can run the sweep on the outside. And I, I look at both guys, and I wouldn't say that either one is one of those classic NFL caliber running backs. And, uh, you know, just to kind of your descriptions from the past, I mean, LaShawn Daniels is kind of a, you know, poor man Sean Green, and Akram Wadley is kind of a poor man to take a bank. And if uh, you can get, you know, the, the good side out of both, I mean, he's got a pretty talented player. And the fact that in a game like that, that's exactly what you want. They both they split the carries. They both were efficient, and neither of them got really dinged up. So I think it was about a perfect performance to get. You mentioned the wide receivers. Jermanick Smith had a terrific game. Also downfield blocking on a couple of key plays. But Matt Vandenberg once again showed how solid he is, and he broke some bigger runs after catches last Saturday. Yeah, you know, he was. I think he's very underrated, and I, I don't know if it's just the stereotype or what, but I mean, he's faster than people give him credit for, and he's tougher than people give him credit for, and, and elusive, and he's got great hands, and you know, he's what, four catches, 99 yards. I think he's uh, a guy that people just continue to overlook, but he might end up being one of the best receivers of the Big Ten when it's all said and done. Going into that game, Kirk had expressed some concern about his tight ends as a group, given some injuries and other issues. They were only targeted, I think, one time, and that was to Kittle, who dropped a pass in the end zone that would have been a touchdown. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little surprised not to see George Kittle get a little bit more uh, traction out there, but he was, you know, that was his only pass, and that was kind of a tough catch. I mean, it was a great pass, but it was in a tough area to locate the ball. So I think, uh, you know, I, I give George Kittle a pass just for the pass, but at the same time, I think it was, uh, you know, they need, they need more out of that position long term. They probably will get it, but, you know, they were able to run effectively, so they weren't, you know, and they flew kind of the outside. They're going to need more from that position, and I'm sure they'll get it. Iowa State's defense surrendered 367 yards versus UNI. They had a time of possession issue, couldn't get off the field. UNI had the ball for nearly 36 minutes in that ball game. Their leading tackler, somebody Iowa fans should keep an eye on Saturday, was their sophomore linebacker Northrop. He had a career-high 13 tackles and two for loss and a sack. And then their safety, Kamari Katanmoya, also played a solid game last Saturday against Northern Iowa. They've got a really good defensive secondary. You know, Cotton Moya, they've got a corner who's really good. I mean, they've got some players, uh, and maybe they got overshadowed a little bit. Uh, but, you know, those are, you know, the, that secondary could give Iowa some problems. I mean, Brian Peavy is only a sophomore, and he's short, but, man, he could play. And uh, he's one of the better corners of the Big 12. And then Cotton Moya, who plays safety, he can come up and stick. So I, I really like what they can do uh, in the secondary. I mean, to me, with Iowa State, it, can they generate enough disruption up front to cause problems in Iowa's running game and uh, and throw C.J. Beathard off kilter a little bit. I think the one player who can is DeMond Tucker, a senior nose guard. Um, you know, he's physical. He's really good. And Iowa, they're a little inexperienced at center with James Daniels. He's got a ton of talent, but not quite the experience. So I think right now you we're looking at uh, that might be a, a somewhat of a weakness at this point in Iowa's season. And uh, that's a matchup that 
Iowa State might be able to exploit on Saturday night. Yeah, UNI was pretty effective in the red zone against the Cyclones, too. They were four or five, and three of those were touchdowns. So we'll see how that goes. You mentioned Daniels again, and I, I wonder on the blitz pickups and so forth, if that was partially at least a product of Daniels starting his first game at center and having to make those uh, calls for the offensive line. It was a little bit of an issue. I mean, he, you know, he's the one who kind of missed the call when uh, Beathard got crushed from the blitzer on the side. And, and that really, you know, that kind of highlighted the importance of what they really need to do. Uh, uh, and that's part of the reason why Sean Welsh was uh, was in that position early on, because, you know, he's, he's always been through that, uh, through a season of that position. So I think when you look at uh, James Daniels, world of talent, displayed to guard, played a little bit of tackle, now at center where they really projected him. But, you know, he needs to kind of get used to the coverages. And, and if, they can, if he can continue to grow in that area, they'll be fine. But it caused a few problems problems on Saturday. After this break, Scott talks the matchup between Iowa's defense and ISU's offense, special teams, and the new contract for Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz. And he sticks with Beffert, looking over the middle. Caught for a touchdown, Germany Smith, 12 yards. Tough catch in traffic for the sophomore out of Garland, Texas. He's been known to make the wild catch, but not the tough catch. This time, the ball's drilled on target, on time, and Smith had no choice but to catch the football. And the efficiency continues in the second half. A throw behind in the slot sets up a young receiver getting it right on the mark from a veteran quarterback. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Iowa's defense versus the Cyclones offense. You already mentioned the fact that uh, with the Jewel, Josie Jewel thrown out for the targeting and Jack Hockaday having to come in and play who looked a little bit uncertain, probably a little bit surprised at getting that much playing time early. But maybe one of the most surprising things and fun things to watch last Saturday was the success of the law firm, defensive ends Anthony Nelson and Matt Nelson. And Anthony Nelson was named Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Really impressive performance. And I saw it a little bit in the spring and a couple of the open practices where, you know, Anthony Nelson just looked like he had a nice burst off the edge. And he's 6'7", he's gained 33 pounds since the beginning of, uh, you know, his, his arrival on campus, which really wasn't that long ago. You know, it's about 14 months ago, 15 months ago. But yet, uh, you know, just, you know, was able to get two and a half sacks, you know, two forced fumbles, fit the pass, looked really good out there. And I think, uh, you know, if he if he's going to play a lot because we really don't know yet about Parker Head status, if he's going to be able to play at all, 
fall or, or if their hamstrings going to bother him too much. So, you know, I, and Matt Nelson, you know, is a guy with feet for a long time in this part of the world, you know, second your rapid savior. And I think he's got a chance to, to be a really good player. I mean, he's big, he's physical, he's grown a lot, and now he's just get more and more, uh, you know, action there in, in, at the end. So, you know, and then, of course, when you, when you mentioned Iowa State's running game, and, uh, you know, we, we talked about Iowa's kind of pumped to get the run on Saturday, but Iowa State was really bad against Northern Iowa. I mean, they gave up. You know, they only rushed for 2.0 yards per carry. We're stonewalled in a lot of situations. And I, I think that was, you know, they've got a great running back at Mike Warren. He's one of the best ones Iowa will face all year. But that line is in shambles. They had a, you know, significant injury in the in the preseason. And, and I think they're going to really struggle. And, and Iowa, I, and I know, has something to prove. And I'm sure they, if nothing else, I'm sure they're going to try to make sure that they can prove that point. Now, Iowa State only had 51 rushing yards last Saturday. And Warren, who you mentioned, only had 30 yards on, on 12 carries. Of course, on the flip side of that, another terrific performance by their junior wide receiver, Alan Lazard. He was outstanding versus UNI. Here's the big question of the week, and Desmond King may have spilled the beans. Kirk was a little more reticent about it, but whether they're going to shift their cornerbacks around and put King on Lazard pretty much all day long, uh, because Mabin was picked on early and often, as we saw, and he can probably continue to expect that kind of attention his way, Mabin's way, given how good King is. Yeah, I mean, you've got to do something with Alan Lazard. I think he's the best receiver Iowa's going to face this year. They know all about him. He's a quality young man, too. So, I mean, there's really no animosity here, but it is a rivalry game, and you're facing 6'5 talent who's really got an NFL future. So, Iowa typically doesn't move its corners around. It doesn't move its ends around. They just kind of allow them to stay on their side of the field. But if you do that, and it, and it really looks like a slide against Maven, and that's unfortunate, but, but really, you're going to have to do that with him. Uh, you know, Lazard's too good. And if they can get him in space, if they can get him moving, you know, you can really make Maven look bad. And, and you know, that's a confident position. You've got to have confidence playing it. And if, if not, you can really you can really be in trouble if you allow him to, to slump again the way he did the other day. So it makes sense for, for uh, King to move around a little bit. They probably won't do it as much as uh, he thinks they will. But at the same time, I think it's important for them to kind of establish a Maybe even make Iowa State sink a little bit more. The other big problem Iowa State had against UNI, they lost the turnover margin 4-1 to one in their last three possessions. When they still had a chance to win that game, they had two interceptions and a fumble. That'll kill you. Uh, we've seen it before in these in-state rivalry games. And they had, what, eight eight or nine penalties for 89 yards. I mean, you know, that those are Paul Rhodes-type numbers. You know, that's why Paul Rhodes isn't the coach there anymore. I mean, they just were inefficient. And one thing I will say for Matt Campbell was, he owned it, and he said, "We got to stop disappointing these fans." And and I think that was really an important step for the program because uh, you know you look at uh, you know Rhodes was just kind of you know labored under a lot of excuses, and in this case now he's uh, you know he at least owns it. Quick glance at the special teams. Everybody, a lot of chatter. Two new kickers for the Hawkeyes: one true freshman and the place kicker Keith Duncan; the other, the grad transfer punter Ron Caluzzi, who also handled kickoffs. They both had close to terrific performance performances last Saturday. Kaluzzi averaged nearly 42 yards on punts, good hang time, terrific handling kickoffs, seven of eight touchbacks. Yeah, 
I thought that was probably the brightest spot of them all. I mean, you know, last year, you know, I mean, Marshall King was terrific on kickoff, long field goal, and a little inconsistent when it came to short yardage kicks. And then you look at two guys, both new, both were on campus last year, but here, here you've got, uh, you know, Kaluzzi coming in, punting the ball well. They haven't really had a great punter since uh, Ryan Donahue, I thought. And, and uh, he was, a, but, you know, he was able to, to get good hang time, as you said, good distance. The kickoffs were efficient. And then Keith Duncan, you know, was six for six from extra point and kicked a field goal. That was a real plus. I, I, I gave him an A. I mean, they were the, that was like the only unit I really thought that performed as close to perfect as you could find. And Desmond King demonstrated once again, other teams are really going to have to watch him. He was very effective, both on kick returns and punt returns. He actually leads the Big Ten in both of those. And he had a huge gain that was called back due to the jewel targeting penalty. I asked him after the game, are you ever going to break one of these for a story? He's like, yes. It's, it's kind of frustrating him, but, but he changes field position. I mean, you know, you go back last year, and there was a handful of times where his returns were for the difference between scoring drives and not, and that was really impressive. And yeah, the other day he had you know a long return. He had a you know that it was a 69 yard return that got called back, or you know because of, of Jules' uh, penalty. So uh, you know I, he, he's a weapon in that part of the game, and, and I think uh, Iowa knows it. They've changed their philosophy around it. On Iowa State side of the ball, there there's a senior place kicker, Cole Netton, who's um, caused problems for Iowa nearly every time they've played Iowa State again. Against the Hawkeyes, he's perfect. Seven of seven PATs, three of three field goals, and he had uh, two of three in point after touchdowns versus you and I last week. Yeah, he's the one who kicked the game-winning field goal. So I remember a couple of years ago where Iowa tried to freeze him, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he missed the kick or what kind of went through his follow-through, and then he came back to kick the game winner. Only a couple of seconds left, and you know that kind of kick-started the 2014 campaign into the gutter. So uh, everybody knows about him for sure. And, you know, and then Caleb Downing, you know, is a guy who's been around, too. So, uh, you know, they got some veteran people. And I wouldn't sleep at all on Trevor Ryan. He's a really nice punt return. We're closing out here. The other big topic of conversation this week, Kirk Ferentz gets a 10-year contract extension through January of 2026. It's likely that that's neither a floor nor the ceiling. Kirk alluded to that. He'll be 70 if he goes through the end of the contract. Timing's probably as good as it got for both Barda and Ferentz to make this happen. And there's some discussion about the potential impact on what that means for Brian Ferentz becoming a head coach. Yeah, there's a lot of issues, a lot of tentacles with this kind of situation. I mean, you look at Kirk, you know, he's demonstrated success. And I think building off last year with the new facility, recruiting strong, you know, a lot of potential here. I think people, you know, that was the time where he had to do it. I mean, he was, his contract was going to expire in early 2020. Coaches can use that against you on the recruiting trail. What's next? So you've you got to keep what you have. And, and uh, you know, I, there have been a lot of discussions. You know, I mean, going in before this season, you know, there's about five years there where Iowa was fairly mediocre. I mean, you know, by all standards. But but then again, without Kirk Ferentz, you could be Illinois. You could be Purdue. And I think the abyss is scarier than, than what you know here. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And as far as Brian Ferentz goes, I mean, you know, he's going to be a head coach. He's very talented. You know, and there's no, you know, whether it's here or somewhere else. But you wonder, you know, I mean, just because Kirk has a tenure contract doesn't mean he can't retire at some point in it. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, my opinion, and in my opinion only, I, I would think that Brian Ferentz should probably be a go be a head coach at a smaller school, a max school or something for a few years, you know, make a few rookie mistakes as a head coach, then come back to Iowa, you know, if that's the, that's in the cards. 
but perfect worlds don't exist, in my opinion, doesn't really matter. So um, I think it'll be, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think Kurt will last the contract. Last year prediction, Iowa-Iowa State, who takes the Cyhawk Trophy on Saturday night? It's hard to go against Iowa in this matchup, and every time I, you know, I've been hedging on these for the last several years because I've seen so many, you know, games where you just think Iowa's the better team, and that's Iowa State pulls it out, no matter, you know, whether it's two years ago or 2007 or 2011 or whatever. It just it surprises you from time to time. But but you got but you got to look at each year differently and freshly. I mean, there's a history, but this is in Kinnick. They've lost their last two in Kinnick to Iowa State. It's at night. You have an awesome, crazy atmosphere. I just don't see Iowa losing. I think that they're they're uh, it was an aberration in the way they played the run last week. Iowa State can't run the ball against Iowa. That doesn't mean Mike Warren can't get loose a little bit, but he's not going to be able to sustain drives with a lot of execution. I, I think you know Alan Lazard can kill them in a couple of plays, but not for the entire game. Iowa will run the ball fair, and probably it will. It will. It, it, I don't see. I mean, they're too light up front with the exception of Tucker. So I think Iowa pulls this out. Probably wins comfortably. I've got a 34 to 20, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's a little bit beyond that. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> Iowa's defense creates opportunities. The offense takes advantage. And they're 1-0 on the season. They were able to create turnovers, and then the offense took advantage of that field position and turned it into points. So far, so good as they open up 1-0 and take care of the business at hand against Miami. They get the Cyhawk rivalry next as Iowa State comes to town. Coach Matt Campbell and the Cyclones pay a visit to Iowa City, but they open up a 21-0 lead, and they hold on and run away from Miami. 45-21 is the final. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPNU for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll subscribe to all of our podcasts on iTunes. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.